Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. We are excited to celebrate and honor our graduates. And you know, with graduation, oftentimes as you graduate, you're transitioning uh, to your future. And uh, you're wondering, okay, what are my next steps? What do I do next? What does the future hold? You dream about uh, maybe what your career might look like, what your family might look like. You wonder, uh, what, what is it going to be like? And, uh, you know, oftentimes when it comes to the future, uh, many times we're, we're, we're looking ahead. Whether it is graduation or whether maybe uh, we're in a career and we're thinking, you know, maybe I want to change in my career. Maybe this is not the path I want to take. So what's the next step? What, what, what is the next pathway for me? Or maybe as you're approaching retirement, you're thinking, you know, uh, I'm approaching, what does that look like for me? What does retirement look like? What, what does it look like when I get older? I think a lot of times uh, we're concerned about the future. We're concerned about the, the future. Maybe it's our future. Maybe it's the future of our kids. Maybe it's the, the future of our, our nation. But I think that there's a, a lot that we get concerned about when it comes to the future. Uh, many of you uh, are probably old enough to remember back when we were approaching uh, the turn of the century, the year 2000 Y2K. How many remember that? In 1998, there was a, a book that was published called Predictions for the Next Millennium. Predictions for the next millennium, and uh, and, and this was a a a, 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 a bunch of celebrities, uh, sports heroes at the time, celebrities at the time, famous people, musicians, politicians. They asked them, "What do you think the future will look like a thousand years from now?" So, predicting into the future, what do you think it's going to look like a thousand years from now? And here's here's some of the predictions that some of these. Celebrities, politicians, musicians, sports people. Here, here's, what they, here's what they said. They said, among the predictions that will happen to us in the next thousand years, one of them predicts we'll have a common language and a common cur- currency. I think they were reading Revelation. Someone else predicted a one-world government that will heal the planet. Well, you know, they were reading something in Revelation too, I think. Uh, and here's a strange one. One of, one of these folks believe that, that Earth's politicians will be taking in an interplanetary, interplanetary, excuse me, economic lessons from alien beings to find out how to cooperate and operate a government without taxing people to death. That, that was one of the original stars from Star Trek. Seriously, that's crazy. You know, as people, we want to know what the future holds. We're oftentimes very much concerned about our future. People are paid to predict the future. Some of you checked your weather app or you watched the weather on TV because you wanted to know what does today look like. If you're planning graduation parties, you want to know if it's outdoors, is it going to rain, is it going to rain. So we pay people to try to predict for us the future weather. What's the weather going to be like? There are people that get paid to predict what does the financial forecast look like? What, what, what does the stock market look like? What's the rise in the fall? What's it going to look like? What's the job market look like? What does this look like? People are paid to predict the future, economic future. Each year, people in sports try to guess, will the Browns actually make the Super Bowl? Okay, that really fell flat because all of us are kind of like Cleveland fans for a long time. We're waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? (laughs) 
We, we look for things that we can, we, can, we can predict the future. We talked a couple of weeks ago as we were in this series, we talked about that, that, that the psychics and horoscopes and, and astrology is big business, a $2 billion business today. $2 billion a year business today. So why are people so obsessed with the future? Well, one psychologist wrote something that I thought was very interesting. This is what he said. He, he says one of the most powerful influences... Of, uh, on fear, so fear, one of the most powerful influences on fear is uncertainty. When we are uncertain about something, it causes great fear and anxiety. And then he, he, he kind of, he says, because lack of knowledge means that we don't know what we need to know to protect ourselves. The less we know, the more we feel threatened. And so a lack of knowledge means we don't lack enough to be able to protect ourselves. And, and it gave an illustration. So you say, well, is that really true? Here's an illustration. Pretend like you're out on the open road. You're out in the country. You're out on the open road. Just a, 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 just a long stretch of, of road that you can just go. And you're driving 85 miles an hour. Just ignore speed limits for a moment, okay? So here, picture it with me. You're driving 85 miles an hour. Now I want you to close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. Close your eyes, 80, I'm not going to do anything, 85 miles an hour, you're going a half a mile, you're going one mile, you're going a mile and a half. How many of you feel a little bit of anxiety with your eyes closed going that fast? Why? Because we don't know the future. We want our eyes open so we can look ahead at the road and know, is there going to be a curve up ahead? Is there going to be, you can open up your eyes now, I'm sorry. Is there going to be a curve up ahead? We want to know why, because the more we know, the more we know how to survive, Right? Self-preservation is a basic instinct in the human heart, the ability to see where we're going. And when we can't see where we're going, it frightened us and it causes great fear and anxiety. And so this psychologist concludes that the knowledge of the future, even if it's incomplete knowledge, is power. And if we don't know, we get afraid. Friends, this isn't anything new. That's what we were in Daniel chapter 2. And in Daniel chapter 2, that's what we saw a couple of weeks ago when we were in Daniel chapter 2, is King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king uh, of, of the, the nation of Babylon, which was the world power of its day. It had conquered the known world of its day. It was the power of its day. And he was the king. He was the chief. And, uh, and yet he was concerned about his kingdom. He was concerned about whether it would last. He was concerned about what was going to happen. Was somebody going to try to come in? He had concerns and he took those worries and those fears to bed with him and he had a dream. And in that dream, it was revealed to him of this statue. And he, we're going to talk about the statue today. And it was revealed to him and he was afraid. He did not know what this statue meant, what the stone that was cut out of the side of the mountain that seemed to crush it. What does this mean? And so he gathered all of his astrologers and he gathered all of his wise men and he gathered all of the people and, and his enchanters and all of the people that, that knew the Babylonian wisdom, all the treasures of Babylonian wisdom, everything that they had believed was the way you put your faith in order to know the future. And he called them in and he told them, hey, I, I, I've had a dream and I need to know what it means. And they say, well, king. Tell us your dream and we'll tell you the interpretation. And in a twist, he says, how do I know you're going to actually tell me the truth? Here's how I know. You tell me what I dreamed and then give me the interpretation. And if you can do that, then I know you're telling me the truth. And Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 10, this is their response. The astrologers answered the king. 
There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they don't live among humans. Nebuchadnezzar wants an answer. You tell me my dream. You tell me the interpretation. I don't want to be deceived. I need to know what the future holds. I am fearful about the future. I need to know what it holds. Tell me. And they couldn't do it. And today, we're going to discover four truths when it comes to the future. Four truths when it comes to the future today. That, I, that, that is on graduation Sunday. I just think it's just really key today. So not all of you are graduating, but maybe you're graduating from one season to another. And how many of you know that there are times where seasons can come at you and you didn't even see it coming? And it can make that future very much in what, what is that going to happen? That diagnosis, what's going to happen with my future that comes? That all of a sudden your boss comes in and says, hey, we've got to do some cuts and you're on the way out. What, what, what does my future hold? What, what are my plans hold? In any moment, the future can change. I want to tell you some lessons, four lessons about the future. Number one is this. The future is unknown to us. Seems kind of obvious, doesn't it? But isn't that what the astrologers and the enchanters and the magicians and the Chaldeans of Nebuchadnezzar were telling him? We don't know. We can't tell you. Nobody knows the future. No human knows the future. Nobody who is a human knows the future. We can't tell you what you dream. Friends, when it comes to the future from a human perspective, we don't know. Solomon wrote this in Ecclesiastes 7.14. When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. No one knows the future. Solomon was saying, vanity among vanities. I've tried all of these things, and it's just left life meaningless for me. Friends, life doesn't have meaning apart from God. No one knows the future except God. When our plans change, when that unexpected tragedy happens or circumstance or event that leaves us wondering, what now? You have to understand that the future is unknown to us. And Nebuchadnezzar, he led to sleepless lights. It led to anxiety. It led to worry about what the future holds. And, and so he called those people, but they weren't able to do it. But in Daniel chapter 2, we learn the second truth, and that's this. The future is well known to God. The future is well known to God. Because what happened, Daniel 2 uh, continues, the wise men in Babylon, they couldn't provide Nebuchadnezzar the dream uh, and the interpretation. And so uh, he said, you know what, you're, you're all going to be dead. He was furious. He gave orders to, to kill all of them. And uh, what he had put his faith in had failed him. And so he was ready just to, to react and everybody was done. And that included Daniel. That included his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, or you may know them better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and he, 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 he said, uh, you know, they're, they're done. But when he approached, here's what Daniel said. Daniel said, hold on a second. What's going on with the king? Why is he so upset? And he asked the king's officer this in verse 15. 
Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. And at this, Daniel went to the king and asked for time that he might interpret the dream. Why does Daniel tell Arioch, hold on, <laughs> hold on, let me talk to the king. Hold on a minute. Why? Because Daniel knows that although the future is unknown to us, the future is known to God. Friends, I want you to get that in your spirit today. We might not know what the future holds, but the future is known to God. Daniel chapter 2, 17 and 18, then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and they urged and pleaded mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. You see, what this shows us, they went to prayer. Why did they go to prayer? Why did they have a prayer meeting? Because they knew they didn't know the future, but they knew God did. And they were praying and, and saying, God, you know the future. Please reveal it to us. God, right now, our future is uncertain. In fact, we had been in that place, God, where, where uh, we, we had followed you. We were exiles in Babylon. We're young teenagers, but we didn't eat what was unclean. We purposed in our heart. We, did not, we would not defile ourselves. So this judgment that is coming, this, please don't let this come on us. We, we, had, we had proven ourselves. In fact, we were on the rise. And now this, now it looks like our future is coming to an end. But oh God, we come to you because although our future is unknown, you know the future. Friends, when your future is uncertain, listen, there is a God that knows the future. Get on your knees and ask God. You may not know what the future holds, friends, but God does. Daniel 2.19 during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. Friends, you may not know what the future holds, but God does. Psalm 139, 1 through 4 says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways before a word is on my tongue. Lord, you know it completely. Friends, our th God's thoughts, he knows our thoughts even from afar off. You know what God is? God is omniscient. God is not bound by time or space. He is eternal. If you picture a parade, and you might be at the beginning of the parade. Someone else might be in the middle of the parade. Somebody else might be at the end. All you see from a human perspective is what is right in front of you. You see it as it comes and when it passes, you don't know what the future holds or where that's going or what may happen down the road. But there is a God who is not watching the parade from this level but rather he has got a helicopter view he is up and he can see the beginning and he can see the end and he knows the entire thing because he is eternal because he is omniscient because he is all-knowing friends the future is unknown to us but i've got to tell you there is a god that knows the future there is a god that knows the future and friends that's what daniel is banking on Daniel is banking on. He's not panicking. He's, he's very poised. Why? He's confident. He's unruffled because he knows that God knows. God knows. And it's just a matter of God revealing it to him. And so he goes back to Nebuchadnezzar because God reveals the dream and that mystery. And this is what he tells him. Verse 26. The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? I could just imagine and Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, diviner, uh, diviner can explain to the king the mystery he is to ask about. 
But look what he says. But there is a God in heaven. Come on, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. But there is a God in heaven. Friends, there is no enchanter. There is no magician. There is no astrologer. There is no psychic. There is no, no human on earth that can tell the future. But there is a God in heaven who tells mysteries. There's a God in heaven, friends. And he is showing King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. And that gives us our third truth today. And that is the future is made known to us. So God, we, we, we don't know. No human knows the future. The future is unknown to us. There is a God who knows, and that God has revealed it to us. That God has made that future known to us. The Bible is filled with prophecy, including God revealing to his people his plan. That's what prophecy is. Prophecy throughout the scripture is God revealing to you and I, revealing to his people over the course of time, his plan. The future is unknown to us, but God knows the future. And thank God he has made the future known to us. Friends, do you know that the Bible is so powerful? It is, it is so accurate. And that's what we're going to unpack in this dream. What, what God revealed to Nebuchadnezzar in the statue that we're going to spend the remainder of our time looking at today is, is that, that God know the, knows the future. Now, you got to remember, we're going to look back at it, all right? We're going to look back, and we're going to see the accuracy of Scripture here. And there's still a part that is yet to be unknown, and we're going to get into that even in the days ahead in Daniel 7 and look into Revelation when it comes to that. But I hope you know that there is a future, and God wants to reveal and has revealed the future to us today. Daniel 2, 31 to 36. Your majesty looked and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. It's kind of like from California, awesome, you know, like one of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Where am I going? The head. All right, here we go. The head of the statue was made of pure gold. Its chest and arms were of silver, and the belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron, partly of baked clay. And while they were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands, and it struck the statue on the feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. And the wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. And then Daniel says this, this was the dream. And now we will interpret it to the king. Can you imagine Nebuchadnezzar reliving that dream? He had that dream. Some people wondered if he didn't remember it, and that's why he wanted the magicians and enchanters to repeat it back. All he knew is that it had shook him, and he couldn't remember. Perhaps he did remember, but at this point, here comes Daniel. I, 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 let me tell you the dream, and he's like, sure, you go ahead. Let's see what you make up, and as he's telling it, every moment is coming back, and I can imagine King Nebuchadnezzar on the edge of his throne shaking as he begins to, to the dream begins to be revealed to him, and Daniel Daniel begins to tell him, listen, the future might be unknown to you, but there is a God, and that God has revealed the future to you. Whoo, every detail. Friends, that's the thing. These prophecies, they got detail to them. So let's take a look at the detail. We're looking back now. This had not happened yet, other than the first, the head. That's the only thing that Daniel was able to say that he knew for sure, but what was coming 
was not yet something that had happened. You have to understand that. We have the privilege of looking back. So let's take a look at how accurate scripture is when God knows the future. The head of gold, all right? Your majesty, you the king of kings. That's what he's saying. This is the interpretation of the head of gold. You're the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. I want to stop for a moment. Who gave Nebuchadnezzar power and glory and dominion? God. Who gives authority to people who are in rulership. God, don't forget that. God has not stopped to be in control just because who you didn't vote for or who you voted for is in or out. You didn't vote them in. You didn't vote them out. There's a God who's in charge. I don't understand that. Why that one? Why not that one? It's not for you to understand. Those are mysteries. Why don't you pray? That's extra. I'll just leave that there for a moment. Why? There's a king. You, God has placed it in your hands, all mankind, because we're stewards of everything God places in our hands. It's a stewardship principle. The beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, whenever they live, he's made you ruler over them all, and you are that head of gold. You are the king. You're the head. Of, you're the head. You're the king. You're the enchilada, right? You're the big kahuna. That's what Daniel's saying. Come on, it's you. You are that king. And listen, he was a ruler. Why gold? Why gold? Because Babylon was known as the city of gold. In fact, it's fitting because there's a, there's a historian, a Greek historian by the name of, of Herodotus, Herodotus, I don't know how you say his name. He's Greek and it's like Herodotus, all right? And, and he described Babylon about 100 years after Nebuchadnezzar's reign. And he noted that there was extravagant gold in the temple. Now, I want to go back for a moment because Isaiah, when Isaiah was the prophet, remember in the Old Testament, Isaiah the prophet, he was, he predated what happened with Daniel and the exiles in Babylon coming in. But this is what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 14.4. You will take up this proverb against Babylon and say, how the oppressors has ceased, the golden city ceased. This was Isaiah, years and years and years before, that said the, the city of gold will cease. Jeremiah 51.7, Jeremiah before, this is again before, Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hands. Gold. And Nebuchadnezzar had reign over the entire city and over the entire known world from five, uh, until 539 B.C. When there was all of a sudden a coalition of, of, of kingdoms that came together that represented the next section, which is the chest and the arms of silver. Now, how many arms do you have? Two. After you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours, too. And, and I'm sure at this point, Nebuchadnezzar bristled. My kingdom's going to come to an end? Uh, you mean uh, my kingdom's not going to last? What do you mean? Why? Because kingdoms come and kingdoms go. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. Human kingdoms come and human kingdoms go. What does the, what does the chest and, and arms of silver represent? Well, we know from history that, and also following in the book of Daniel, that after Babylon, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson was overtaken. He was overtaken by the Medo-Persian Empire. Two arms, the, the, the Medes and the Persians. The Medes and the Persians. And that's what that image represents. Two branches, the Medes and the Persians. And, and, and 
they take the city and they oust Nebuchadnezzar's grandson and Darius the Mede reigns and also Cyrus the Persian. All right, a dual capacity. They reign the kingdom in a dual capacity. And what's interesting is Darius the Mede establishes a new form of government called tribute where every one of his captives are demanded to pay him in, get this, silver. This was before. Now I get the golden city, all right? The golden city, as we said, Isaiah already had, had prophesied about that. But now Daniel is saying silver. And guess what? The Medo-Persian Empire was noted for its silver. It was much larger geographically, but inferior and weaker because it lacked a central government. And that led the way for a young whippersnapper Greek, uh, uh, Greek leader by the name of Alexander, Alexander the Great, right? Alexander the Great to come in and take advantage of it. And so the next part of this are the belly and the thighs of bronze. Next, the third kingdom, one of bronze, Daniel 2.39, will rule over the whole earth. And the, and the belly and the thighs of, of bronze are represented by the kingdom of Greece under Philip II of Macedon and his famous son, Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great would, would, would rule. He, would, he had a quest for world domination. And it said that after he had conquered everything he conquered, he sat down in his tent and he wept because there were no, world, world, no more worlds for him to conquer. That's how vast his kingdom was. And, and, and bronze was used to symbolize this kingdom, partly because Alexander had equipped his soldiers with helmets, breastplates, shields, and swords made of bronze. Isn't that interesting? This is way before that ever happened. This is years before, but yet here is Daniel. Why? Because God knows the future, and he was making the future known to Nebuchadnezzar and to Daniel. He was making the future known. You know, just for information purposes, how many of you like just, like, information? There's a historian by the name of Josephus. Anybody ever heard the, the Jewish historian Josephus? Uh, Josephus said this, that when, when Alexander was coming against Jerusalem, Jadua, the, the high priest at the time, came out to meet Alexander the Great with the scroll of Daniel, and he showed Alexander the Great in the scroll of Daniel where Daniel had predicted that, that he would take over the world. And according to Josephus, he dis, Alexander dismounted from his horse and paid homage to the God of the Jews. Wow, right? That's just a little extra. God knows the future, and God was revealing it. Let's get to the legs of iron. i got to go really fast here. The legs of iron. Finally, verse 40, there were the fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break the others. The, the Romans were next. And the Romans came in, and they began to rule Alexander's empire, and they were known as what? Iron legions. If you know anything about Rome, they ruled, and iron was the way that they ruled. In fact, iron is used 14 times in Daniel chapter 2. And according to H.C. Uh, Leopold, the, the Roman legions were noted for their ability to crush all resistance with an iron heel. There's apparent, apparently uh, a little bit of that constructive, uh, constructive to the program of this empire in spite of Roman law and Roman roads and civilization because the destructive work outweighed everything else. They came in with iron chariots. They, they came in and they ruled and, and they crushed and they demolished. And, and it was the Roman empire, if you remember, that did what? They put Jesus on the cross. 
right? Jesus gave up his life, okay? Nobody took it from him. But it was the Roman soldiers, crush, who, who put him on the, the cross, the imperialistic Romans. And it's interesting to note, if we look at Rome, Rome is depicted by what? Two legs, Two legs, and if you know anything about Roman history, that as you get into A.D. after Jesus in 395 A.D., guess what happened? The Roman Empire split into the east and into the west. The Byzantine Empire took over in the east in the capital city, Constantinople. I remember that, Constantinople, right? And in the west, Rome. Two legs. This was prophesied centuries before. Why? Because God knows the future and he's made it known to us. (laughs) Remember, this is a prophetic dream. The last part, feet of iron, not the last part, second to last part, feet of iron and clay. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly baked with clay, partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom and yet will have some strength of iron in it. Even as you saw iron mixed with clay, as the toes were partly of iron, partly of clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. And this is the part that I'm not going to get into a whole lot today, because when we get to Daniel chapter 7, there's another image, another dream vision that Daniel has of a beast, and and the beast has 10 horns, and there's a little horn that's rising up. We're not going to get into all of it, but it matches with also Revelation chapter 17, and thousands and thousands of years, scholars have been looking at this, trying to predict some type of coming together again of what was the Roman Empire in kind of 10 different different ways, and, uh, and, and an antichrist, and all of these kind of things in that dream. We're going to get into it later, but I want to focus on the last part, the stone. I want to focus on the stone. And it says this, Daniel 2, 44 and 45, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Woo, think about that for a moment. Nor will it be left to another people. So it's not going to be ruled by people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it will itself, look at this, endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God is showing the king what will take place in the future. The dream is sure, and its interpretation is trustworthy. What is the stone? Or more importantly, who is the stone? Friends, it's Christ. It's Christ. In another passage of scripture, Isaiah 28, 16 So this is what the sovereign Lord says, say I, see I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation, and the one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. Friends, you don't have to fear the future because there is a God who knows the future and he has revealed it to us. He is the stone. And although kingdoms come and kingdoms go, although nations rise and nations fall, there is a kingdom that does endure forever. And there is a king who will reign forever. And his name is Jesus Christ. He is the stone. Jesus himself used this passage about himself in Matthew 21, 42 and 44. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? 
The stone that the builders rejected, remember he was rejected, has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And then verse 44, anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and anyone who falls, or on whom it falls, will be crushed. There is no power greater than Jesus Christ. Jesus was the stone that was cut out of the mountain, but it was not by human hands. He is not created. He is the God who always was, who always is, and who is to come. That is Jesus Christ. That is our rock. He is, is the only kingdom that will remain. His is an eternal kingdom. Friends, you can trust the Bible. The Bible is accurate because God knows the future and he's made the future known to us. He has given it to us in prophecy. Take a look at the Old Testament. I'm going to run down through this and I want you to stick with me because you're going to be encouraged by the end of this, friends. You're going to be encouraged by the end of this because before any of that happened, Daniel had prophesied and before Jesus Christ, Christ came the stone guess what there were prophecies about him that came true and those prophecies had great detail it wasn't some vague little thing that you can make up he had detail to it his life his death his resurrection they were all prophesied about let me give you a sampling Isaiah 7 14 predicted that Jesus would be born of a virgin Micah 5 2 predicted that he would be born in Bethlehem Genesis 49.10 predicted, predicted that Jesus would be born from the tribe of Judah. Isaiah 9.1 predicted that his ministry would not begin in Jerusalem, but begin in Galilee. These are Old Testament, all right? This before Jesus came. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6 predicted that Jesus would work miracles. Zechariah 9.9 predicted that one day he would enter Jerusalem on a donkey. Psalm 41.9 said that he would be betrayed by a friend. Zechariah eleven twelve said that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. The detail. Isaiah 53, 5 predicted that he would be wounded and bruised. Psalm twenty two sixteen said that his hands and his feet would be pierced. Isaiah 53, 12 predicted that he would be crucified between thieves. Psalm twenty two eighteen said his garments would be torn and lots would be cast to see who owns them. Psalm 34.20 predicted that his bones would not be broken. Zechariah 12.10 predicted that his side would be pierced. Isaiah 53.9 said that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. And Psalm 16.10 said that he would rise from the dead. That's 16 out of 300 detailed prophecies. You can't make this stuff up. You don't get to decide where you're born, who you're born into, when you're born. You don't get to decide any of that. There were things that Jesus could not decide. The Bible is accurate. The prophecy is accurate. In fact, it would take a hundred billion years. That isn't even enough time to give us all of the, the chances that it would have to take in order for us to process for God's word to be fulfilled. God's word is accurate because God is omniscient. God is above it all. He exists outside of our time-space continuum. He is over it all. He knows it all. And the future is his to know. But he has revealed it to us in his word. Daniel said there's a God in heaven that knows all these things and reveals secrets. Skip Heitzig said this, Bible prophecy isn't a good guess. It's good news to a guessing world to give them certainty. Friends, the future is unknown to us, but the future is well known 
to God. It's well known to God. And friends, the Bible reveals something else about the future. The Bible tells us that one day judgment is coming. The Bible tells us one day judgment is coming. Don't you think a Bible that has been accurate to predict everything, kingdoms, the rise and fall of kingdoms, and the coming of a Messiah in great detail, don't you think the Bible is something you ought to trust? And it says, friends, that judgment is coming. It says, friends, that there's a rapture, that Jesus is coming, and a rapture is coming, and he's going to take his church, those that have been right with him, those that have placed their faith in Christ, those that have said, I accept your grace and your mercy, and I put my faith in you for my salvation. Jesus says, I'm coming again. Jesus says, there's a great tribulation coming. There's a great tribulation coming. There's an antichrist that's going to rise up. There's a great tribulation coming. But friends, I'm coming again and I'm going to rule and reign. I'm coming again for a thousand years and I'm going to rule and reign and I'm going to lock that devil away. I'm going to lock him away for all eternity and all who did not place their faith in me. But all friends, there's coming a new heaven and a new earth. There's a God that knows the future, friends. And he has made that future known to us. And that leads me to the last point. I'm about ready to land the plane. The future makes God known to us. The future makes God known to us. Daniel 2.47, the king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. You see, when Daniel was able to say, King, God knows the future, and here's what it is. You know what it did? It revealed who God was to Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar bowed down and worshipped the God, the King of kings. He worshipped God. And friends, what God knows and reveals about the future is to get us that we might know him, that we might know God. Prophecy is kind of his business card, right? That, the, prophecy shows all world religions. All the other world religions are a sham. They're all made up. They're demonic endeavors, friends. They don't add up to anything. It's why Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Because if you look at those other things, they don't tell about the future. Isaiah 41, 21, and 23 says this, present your case, says the Lord. Set forth your arguments, says Jacob's king. Tell us, you idols, what's going to happen? Tell us what the former things were, so that we may consider them and know their final outcome. Or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what the future holds, so that we may know that you are God's. Do something, whether good or bad, so that we may will not, so we will not be dismayed and filled with fear. You know what Isaiah is saying? You know what? You're God's. Those things you put your trust in, those things you put your hope in, those things that you think are going to solidify your future, that, that 401k you keep putting into, you think that's going to be the, the backbone for your future, uh, all those health regimens that you're doing, you think that's going to keep you healthy? Listen, I know the beginning and the end. I'm the one that knows every hair on your head. I have numbered your days. But you go ahead. You think those other gods you put your hope in, you put your future in, you think that sport you keep traveling around to and doing that's going to make your future. Listen, I'm the only one that knows your future. I'm the one that knows your future. You see, Jesus saw prophecy as the same thing, a reason to cause people to believe and put their faith in him. John 14, 29, Jesus said, I told you now before it happens, so when it does happen, you will believe. When you take a look at what scripture says, you take a look at what scripture has prophesied, you can't help but say and be stirred in your spirit, I need to put my faith in God. I've got to put my faith in God. 
Put your faith in God. Friends, I'm going to invite the worship team to come. Friends, the future is known to God, and he has made it known to us that we might know God. That we might know God. And so today, I don't know what has happened in your life. I don't know what concerns you have about the future. I don't know what season you're in, but I can tell you one thing. There is a God that knows the future. There is a God that wants to reveal to us. There is a God that wants to be made known to us. And he invites us today to put our hope and our faith and our trust in him and him alone. To put our faith in him. Jesus wants a relationship with you. He wants a relationship with you. He, he wants you to know him. God reveals himself in prophecy not to just make people aware but it's to make people adore. It's not just to inform people of God's plan, but it's to conform people to God's plan. It's not just to get people to wow, but it's to get people to worship, to surrender, and to submit to his plan. That's why he's come. That's why he's given us his word, that we might know him, and that we might worship him, and that we might surrender to him, and that we might trust him. I'm gonna close with one last thing, Corey Ten Boom. One of my favorite people in modern history, again, a Christian believer, she was helping to hide the Jews during World War II. She was caught, her family was caught. Some of them were killed. She was put into several Nazi concentration camps. She almost died. She was brutally treated for years, but this is what she said. This is what Corey said. Never be afraid to entrust an unknown future into the hands of a known God. To a known God. Friends, your future may be unknown, but there is a God that you can trust. There is a God that is the same, the yesterday, today, and forever. And in Him, there is no shadow of turning. You can put your faith in God. You can put your hope in God. Because His Word is true, and His promises are true, and they are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Let's bow our heads. If you're here today and you say, you know, I haven't... I'm concerned. Maybe you're concerned about your eternity. You don't have to be. The Bible says that if you put your faith in Jesus, if you say, Jesus, I'm in need of your grace today. I put my faith and my hope and my trust in you. If you say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you. I, I don't want judgment. I, I need grace. I need mercy. I need salvation. Today, forgiveness is promised to you if you will put your faith in Christ. If you will put your faith in Jesus, whose kingdom will never end. Are you here today and you need to put your faith in Jesus? Is there anyone at all? Maybe you're watching online. I need to put my faith in Jesus today. Yeah. Come on. Maybe you need to rededicate your life. You've wandered away. You've stopped trusting in God. You've started trusting in other things. world is falling apart. But today you say, I need to put my faith back into a God who knows the future. Anyone at all, I need to put my faith in Jesus. I need to put my faith in Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you today. We thank you that you know it all. We thank you that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And today we surrender to you. Today we give our lives to you. Today we put our trust and our hope in you. Forgive us, God, of the gods that we've trusted. Forgive us of the sins that we've committed. Forgive us, oh God, of sinning against you. We repent today. And Jesus, we ask you for your mercy and grace. And we invite you into our lives today. Transform our soul and make us new. We give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.